Welcome to Kildare Talks, where we listen and learn from the people who work across the county, offering us guidance and support on our health and well-being to help us live healthy and well. So my guests today are Denise Croke and Karina Graham. Denise is the project coordinator of Older Voices Kildare with Kildare Leader Partnership. Older Voices Kildare is a social inclusion initiative for older people, in particular more isolated or vulnerable older people. Older Voices Kildare offers a befriending service and a social prescribing service, as well as community education initiatives. Karina is a health promotion and improvement officer with the HSE based in County Kildare. Up until recently though, Karina worked as a physiotherapist and has over 10 years experience working with older adults in hostels, community and residential settings. Karina is also very passionate about positive ageing. Guys, you're both very welcome. So today we're going to have a conversation about ageing with confidence. What does that mean? What does it mean to age with confidence in terms of how ageing affects our physical health, how it affects our social health, as well as our mental health and how that sort of impacts our lives as we get older. It'll also think it'd be nice to look at identity, like how does ageing and getting older impact our identity and maybe look at is there a difference between men and women when it comes to ageing and the impact that that has on our lives. And then maybe we'll also look at loneliness because I think it would be wrong first not to look at the relationship between ageing and loneliness because we know there's a relationship there. But looking at it from the lens and what we can do about it to protect our health as we get older, both our physical and our emotional health as we get older, and to promote our health as we go through the different sort of stages of ageing. So I like the fact that you both come from different backgrounds, but there's a commonality between the experience and the sort of insights and wisdoms that you can bring to the conversation. So I'm really, really grateful that you've agreed to do this, guys. So maybe, Karina, if you don't mind, we'll start looking at the physical changes because I know myself, I would consider myself quite young. But (laughs) (laughs) my date of birth doesn't say that. However, I have noticed that there are physical changes that happen. Things that I could do in my 20s, I can no longer do now in my late 40s. And I'm not particularly happy with that. (laughs) My brain tells me I'm still a young lad, but my body sometimes says, you know, you need to back up there a little bit. What are the sort of physical changes that maybe we should be expecting to face or experience as we age? And then maybe Denise will talk a little bit about the sort of social piece and the emotional piece that happens as well as life around us sometimes can change as we get older. But we'll start with the physical, Karina, if you don't sure. mind. Yeah, absolutely. I think, first of all, it's important to say that ageing is very different for everybody and ageing is an experience that is individual to each person. Some of the physical changes that do happen as we age, some people may experience joints getting a little bit stiffer. We may experience muscle mass reducing a little bit, so we might not be as strong as perhaps we were. Aging affects our whole system. So things like our skin integrity can sometimes change, loses its elasticity a little bit and can sometimes be a little bit more vulnerable to scrapes and cuts and our healing can be a little bit poorer sometimes as we age. Bones, the density, bone density can sometimes reduce. So our bones are not as strong perhaps as they once were. And I know you mentioned later we'll be discussing in the differences between men and women, but that is something that can commonly affect women more than men. And then a combination of these things can impact, I suppose, older adults if we lose some of our muscle mass or we 
lose some of our bone density, it affects our mobility, potentially increase the risk of falls. And they can all have an impact then on quality of life. But really important to also reiterate that ageing is very individual and not everybody ages the same way. So these things are going to be experienced by some people, not experienced by others and at various different levels of severity, I suppose. And that will be dependent really on how we've lived our life during our entire life course, I suppose, and as well what we continue to do as we age. Is the body sort of payback with the body then if you work it hard? In some respects, yes. And I suppose in some respects, no. It's really, really important that throughout our lives that we are active. It's really important that we do that. Mobility and movement is really important for our joints to make sure that they're well lubricated and they're moving well. So I know a lot of people would say if we do a lot of marathons and we do a lot of running in our lives, is that really bad? But I think if it's something that you enjoy and it's something that's really important to you, it's really important that you can continue to do that. I would never discourage anybody from high intensity exercise if it's something that they enjoy doing. Yeah, it's hard to say. It's different for everybody and it's important that we do keep moving throughout our lives. What about the sort of emotional stuff then, Denise, or the social stuff, the changes then for us to expect or the changes that we experience as we grow older? It's interesting, Anthony, because when I started working with Older Voices 12 years ago, there were two things that struck me. And one of them is very much like what Karina was saying, that everyone's ageing process psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, physically is so diverse, but also people age in isolation. And what I mean by that is for the vast number of people that I encountered 12 years ago when I started working with older people, It was like ageing was something that was only happening to them, for them, when it's the most universal experience of all. From the time we're born, we begin ageing and that continues until we stop. But for all of that universality, everyone that I encountered felt that it was their singular journey by themselves. And the great benefit of older voices at that time was creating a space where in groups of peers, people could explore their own ageing process across a range of topics, such as the physical changes, the emotional changes, changes in identity, changes in social contact, changes in their perception of their role in their value in society, in spirituality and that great taboo sexuality which used to cause great hilarity and yet everyone had loads to say about it even though you say it at the beginning and everybody looks down at the table and two hours later you're trying to hoosh them out the door saying, you know, come on lads, you know, time's up now, we can come back to it if you need to but, you know, so it's both individual and universal but what I've learned, I guess, is that The diversity ranges from people who embrace ageing as a time in their lives when the hard work, in quotes, is over and now this is their time. Now that I have the time, I don't have the body strength, I don't have the emotional resilience, I don't have the social group that I would like to enjoy my life now and everything in between. So it is really that various and that unique on a person-by-person basis. You see that embracing the changes in Karina as a middle-aged man, there'd be certain things I would find difficult to embrace. There's an expectation that I have myself, say from a physical fitness perspective, that there's certain things I expect I should be able to do. Now, my body might have very different expectations. Does that hinder me then when it comes to aging? Does that make me cross and bitter and resentful that I can't do the things? And the reason why I'm asking that, just as you're talking there, Denise, I know a person who is very agitated by the things that they can't do. 
and they have these expectations that they should be able to do. Most of that stuff will be, say, in and around the garden, and they're annoyed that they can't do the things because physically it's just too sore for them. Is that the difference, do you think? I think that's a really interesting question. And I think in relation to what Denise said as well, and that idea of ageing being a very individual experience as well as a universal experience, it's so true. There are, I think... In my experience, definitely people who really do struggle with aging and there will be changes in our body. Just as Denise said, when we are young, we go from being a child to being an adult. Our body will go through changes. It's very similar as we get from an adult into perhaps an older adult or even at various different stages in our life. So our body is changes and it's really important that we do have the ability to be able to accept in a certain way the changes that are happening, but also not admitting defeat in the sense that there are so many opportunities out there to facilitate people to do the things that they want to do and maybe to try and explore other ways of doing things. There is no one size fits all. There is no one way for everybody. But I suppose going to your specific example about being able to do specific tasks, if pain is an issue in doing something, talking about my own profession, but you know, physiotherapists can be really, really good at helping to break down a task. What is it about a task that is really difficult? Is there any specific exercises or is there any changes in the way that you're doing something that will allow you to continue to do it, but in a way that's more comfortable for you? There is always ways around everything. And I think it is a battle and I think it is something that people do experience, not feeling that they're able to do the things that maybe they expect themselves to do or maybe other people expect them to do. That is definitely a challenge and I think it's very individual, but there are are always people out there that can help to break down a task, help to try and facilitate to get to where you want to be. I think peer support can be useful as well in situations like that. I mean, none of us like to live with or to adjust to limitations. I mean, the very idea of a limitation has a negative connotation. But if you're in a position where you can access peer support and you can hear from other people that you're not the only person experiencing that limitation or that other people are struggling with the same thing. And sometimes you can even knock a bit of crack out of it. Someone said to me one day that what used to take her 20 minutes to do now she now has to take a whole Friday afternoon to do it, you know, but that was okay because once she learned to make peace with that, she set aside that time to do it and stopped creating the pressure on herself to have it done in 20 minutes because that was no longer realistic. And you could see other people in the group sort of sitting back, taking a deep breath and saying, yeah, really, you know, does it really matter if I can't do it in 20 minutes anymore? If I give myself the time to do it and it gets done, isn't that the important thing. Sometimes, not always, because some limitations and some difficulties and challenges with ageing are more prevalent or more painful or harder to adjust to. But for some people, having that sense of, sure, I'm not the only one and this is just part of life's process and I'll adjust to it the same way that I adjusted to my body changing in puberty, my body changing during menopause, my body changing during pregnancies, whatever it might be, it can be helpful to people to have that support, I think. And that so that, that's changing your expectations then or maybe giving up some of the expectations that you have of yourself or just maybe managing them a bit you know I, I think it's dangerous to maybe stop expecting things of ourselves because then in a way you're almost giving up you know and I say that myself as a middle-aged woman but with a, a background of a chronic illness and learning to manage my own expectations of myself and that wasn't easy by any stretch of the imagination and there is of course a resentment because you want to be able to do all of the things your mind is telling you you want want to do and your body says well actually I'm not 
quite able right now. You learn, you know, and I think there's a case to be made for almost befriending the limitations rather than fighting with them. And then your body learns to work with your mind in a different way and your expectations change of yourself. So it doesn't feel like a limit anymore. It just feels like a change or an adaptation. And I think for most people, that's easier to reconcile in themselves. Does life events impact our aging processes? And I would say life events, you know, say maybe kids leaving home and getting married or moving out, maybe a bereavement, maybe retirement. There's certain things has a sell-by date. Does that impact how we age, our ability to embrace that or to adjust to it? I think our lives are full of change throughout our lives and some people are quite good at managing change and other people struggle and find it more difficult. And I think going back to Denise's point about that idea of peer support, having support from other people when you're going through those changes are really, really important. I think as we age, there are a lot of changes that can happen. You know, people going into retirement, that's such a huge change for people. Almost that identity of whatever their employment was is so much part of them and it's almost a lot in a sense and trying to come to grips with that. For some people, kind of a resettlement situation, do they leave their home that they've lived in for a long period of time and then go live with family or there's lots of changes that happen and more so at a quicker pace maybe as people age and that can be really, really challenging and having a good social network and social support can be so important and helpful in being able to manage and work through those changes. I don't know whether, Denise, you might have come across this, but I suppose there's a generation of of young people who have emigrated and live abroad and those family members are maybe not with their older family members at home and that leaves I suppose potentially older people feeling more isolated and more lonely in the absence of their families that have maybe emigrated and that can be quite challenging and bring with it its challenges definitely. Yeah I think the loss of identity from retirement in particular is a big issue for people because you spend so much of your life working and as much as we we know we shouldn't do it sometimes we identify ourselves with what we do or the roles that we perform as an employee or a worker and that creates our own sense of our own value or the contribution we make to the world or to our communities and when that's gone then there's not only a huge gap time-wise in our day that doesn't have a structure, that doesn't have a purpose but psychologically and emotionally we can also feel we no longer have a purpose or a value and if your social networks then have been related to your workplace you've also lost that. You're in this sort of place where your familiar routines, your purpose, your structure, your identity, your sense of yourself and what you bring to the world suddenly is just a void. And I think we're very bad at planning for that. If we're very savvy, which some of us are and some of us aren't, you may have pre-retirement financial planning in place so that, okay, you're not bankrupt or poor or homeless or destitute, but we don't do any of the psychological planning. So you're lonely, potentially you're falling into negative mental health because you don't really know who you are anymore. Maybe you're having conflict with your children because now you've all this time on your hands, you're expected to be the childminder of choice and that may not necessarily be what you want for yourself. And of course, there is the other side of the experience where people are delighted because now they can do all of the things that they weren't able to do when they were working, but that would be the lesser 
particular percentage in our experience, retirement comes with a great sense of loss and a great challenge around, well, who am I now and what do I bring and how do I navigate these days and days and days that are without purpose now or without structure? That can also come from, say, parenthood as well, where maybe mums at home, just kids have off to uni or maybe they've left uni. So that purpose, you know, having the dinners on the table, having the football kit ready, gone. What works well in your experience, Denise, to help people with that transition or with those changes? Well, we always try to encourage people a couple of years before retirement. And again, the really positive thing is that people are ageing better, people are living longer and healthier. There is a growing frustration at the mandatory retirement age. And hopefully people will arrive at a stage where they can retire, where they feel they need to, as opposed to when they're told they have to. But a couple of years before retirement age, we would encourage people to start engaging with us and looking at what are their aspirations for their retirement? What are their ideals? What are their goals? What would they like to see happening in their own lives that maybe they don't have time for now, but that we could begin or they could begin to put in place for when they do have the time and when they do have the space and the freedom to do it. It's a little bit around the social prescribing. You're almost creating a personal retirement plan with people for what will you do And in the short term, in the medium term, in the longer term, all things going well health wise, all things being good. How can we and how can you move towards creating this ideal scenario for yourself so that retirement becomes a positive experience? You've begun to create networks outside of your current environment so that you are not losing all of your friendships because you don't have the commonality of a workplace anymore. And you know that if you're someone who needs a routine and needs a structure and a purpose, you know that the week after you retire, you're going to wake up and have one that you've chosen for yourself. And if that doesn't work, then we go back and we look and we see what else is possible. So it might be around linking people in with local activities, craft groups, community groups, educational opportunities, further training, whatever their interests might be. It's as individual and as bespoke as we all are. And moving away from this idea of older people as a homogenous group, it's really about what you as an individual and then we will find like-minded individuals and create that opportunity for your retirement to be a positive and engaged experience. For people who have retired, I suppose, without those kind of planning supports or who are struggling with it or who for reasons of poor health or lack of mobility or for whatever reason experience greater isolation or greater exclusion, then we hope that the befriending service offers some light for them in that they get to create friendships in their own way and on their own terms. So some people may have lost so much confidence because they've lost their role as a worker or as a parent or as a grandparent, as you said, Anthony. And the prevailing narrative around older people tends to be that you are frail and vulnerable. And some people really integrate that and it's very, very difficult. So their confidence would be very, very poor. There's a certain generation who are early school leavers for whom literacy is an issue, for whom education was a very negative experience. And for us, 
the befriending service offers us a way in then to encourage them to build up their confidence a bit. And some people have come back to education through community education as a second opportunity, as a pathway. We had somebody who did their Leave Insert at 92, Leave Insert English, always wanted to do it, left school at 13 because they had to and for economic reasons and were told they were stupid and lived their lives in very difficult conditions, had to bring the money in, but left school obviously very low literacy and through a community education programme discovered an absolute flair for creative writing, was supported with basic literacy, continued doing creative writing and ended up, as I say, going back to do her Leave Insert and passing Leave Insert English at age 92. So that's amazing. That. Yeah, amazing. yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Is there a difference, Karina, between males and females, between men and women in your experience when it comes to our ability to age with confidence, to embrace it? to welcome it, to look forward to it? I think, again, because I suppose you can't say the same thing for everybody and it's very different for each individual. But I suppose just based on my experience, I have experienced that men do sometimes find it a little bit more challenging to come to grips with perhaps that they're not able to do the things that maybe they were able to do and really struggle with the expectations of their gender roles in society. And I think that is a difficulty for men. I think women are better at seeking out support and help, certainly when it comes to their physical health. In my experience, men tend to delay a little bit before seeking help. And men tend to have better physical capabilities as they age. Women less so. They tend to, not always, and as I said, everybody is very different, but sometimes women might lose muscle mass a little bit more quicker because of the hormonal changes that happen during menopause, they're more likely to have osteoporosis. So if they were to have a fall, it perhaps may lead to things like a fracture and things like that, which can be a little bit more difficult. So I think the narrative is changing throughout the life course for women now, but really promoting physical activity and throughout the life course and not just, you know, walking, but also engaging in strength training, which is really, really important throughout our lives. We start losing kind of muscle mass at the age of 30. You know, so at 30, as we start to age, you know, at the age of 30, things start to start to change. So it's really important that we're maintaining those muscle masses as we go through our lives. And it's never, ever too late to start. You know, any exercise is good exercise and you can start at any time and something that is enjoyable for the individual. You know, there is not one prescription for everybody. It's really based on what you want to achieve, what you want to do. And there's always support out there for that. But yeah, I think in my experience, men and women do age differently. Put your physio hat on for a yeah, second. Yeah. So this is a question, this is a selfish question for me. <laughs> Mobility for me is quite important. My sport growing up was karate, so I'm sort of into the martial arts. And I always want to be mobile. So I want to be flexible. I want to be able to take a fall. What can we be doing now in our late 40s, 50s, 60s? 70s, 80s, whatever, to help promote our mobility, to help promote our flexibility and strengthen the body so that it can handle a fall or it can handle the bump or the bash. I suppose recommendations for every adult over the age of 18, we should be doing 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise. So that could be a walk, it could be a cycle, it could be a tennis match, it could be whatever you want it to be, you know, so it's something that you enjoy. I think that's really important. A lot of people go into exercise 
because what someone else has told them. But if you enjoy doing something, you're going to stick with it longer. So do what you enjoy. That is probably the most important point. And then otherwise, you can do 70 minutes of vigorous intensity exercise a week. So that could be something like a really high intensity run or a hit session or whatever it might be for you, provided it's comfortable for you and you're not in agony doing it at the time. That's that's also very important. The fact important. that it's called hit tells me it's not really comfortable. <laughs> so could be it's worse, just, could be called slap. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I suppose we should all be doing two to three days of strengthening exercises. So that might be body weight training or weighted exercises using weights. I think, you know, there's a fear or has been a fear of using weights in the past, but that's kind of changing now. And, and especially for women as well, which is brilliant because weight training is really, really important for our bone strength, our muscle mass, all of which are really, really important as we go through aging. So two to three times a week. And then over the age of 65, we recommend that as well as doing those things, the 150 minutes of moderate intensity and the two to three days of strengthening exercises, that you should also incorporate some balance activities. So that can be a prescription which has been given to you by a physiotherapist, or it can be maybe a yoga class or a Pilates class or whatever it is that you enjoy. I would always encourage everybody to try different things because unless you try, you don't know what you enjoy. See what works for you. And if in any doubt or if, for example, you're experiencing any pain along the journey, reach out, reach out for some support through your GP, through a physiotherapist that can help you get back on track and where you want to be. The 150 minutes, is that per day? A week, right. 30 minutes <laughs> so, over five days, they recommend, okay. but you can break it up however you want. They just say the minimum is 10 minutes. So in order for you to get the benefits of the physical activity, it's got to be a minimum of 10 minutes if you can. But it's important also to say that if you're starting from nothing, some is better than none. So even if you get out and start for that five minutes a day or that 10 minutes a day, that's a great place to start. So is it an idea for people then to say book a session? or book an appointment with a physiotherapist. Absolutely, why not? And I think as physios, health promotion is very much part of our day-to-day -day practice. We do screening tools to look for things like sarcopenia, which is a reduce in muscle mass, things like frailty, things like falls. We do all those screening things more for older adults. If you have any concerns about those things, definitely reach out to the GP who can refer you to a physio or reach out yourself to your local physiotherapist. It's never any harm to do those things because they can pick up or give you some ideas that you hadn't previously thought of, which is going to hopefully make you live a more fulfilled and improve the quality of life that you're living and keep you doing the things you enjoy for longer. Can we talk about the relationship between ageing and loneliness and why it's there and what can we do to reduce it? What can we do to prevent it and increase our social contact, Denise? Because it's something that's been mentioned over the last couple of years with different reports coming through about loneliness as one of the most prevalent things as sort of impacting people across the age groups, but especially as we get older, what are the things we can do to help reduce it? Yeah, it's important to say that loneliness isn't just something that affects older people, but certainly you're right. It has been described in latter years as the epidemic of loneliness and so much so that there's actually a national task force dedicated to reducing loneliness in Ireland at the moment, particularly amongst older people. And that's not just because loneliness is a very painful situation emotionally for people, but it also has significant physical health impacts, which I'm sure Karina will be familiar with. In fact, they say that being lonely and chronically lonely, which one in five people over 65 identify as being chronically lonely. So that's 
365 days a year, 24 hours a day. They're experiencing that discrepancy between the level of social contact that they would like and the level of social contact that's available to them is as dangerous as smoking 20 cigarettes a day and has the same physical health impact as a stroke or a cardiac infraction. So it's a very serious issue. I mean, we all trot the word loneliness off our tongue as if it's just, oh yeah, sure. Of course, you're going to be a bit lonelier because you're social circle becomes smaller. As you grow older, we've spoken about retirement, so you lose your work contacts, perhaps you get to the age where it's realistically more people are starting to pass away. Perhaps for physical reasons, you're less able to get out and about as much as you would have before. So you're interacting less with people. And also we're moving very rapidly towards a less human society in that you can't even book a train ticket now without doing it online. So customer service is automated. So you don't even have those day to day interactions with the postman, with the person in the grocery shop. So loneliness is a huge issue for people as they grow older. And the impact of it is physical as well as emotional. In terms of what we can do about it, I guess the fact that we're talking about it as a very real aspect of ageing and of life in general is a huge benefit because we hadn't been and we haven't been talking about it half enough. Again, it's about putting things in place that will reduce the potential for loneliness. It depends, I suppose, very much on our levels of physical ability, our emotional resilience, the sort of person that we are and the levels of social interaction that we desire for ourselves. So whether it's about active retirement groups, whether it's about craft groups, whether it's about really, I'd only like one or two people in my social circle, but if I have that regular contact, I'm happy. Or whether it's that If I know someone is going to ring me once a week or someone's going to knock on the door once a week to just have a cup of tea with me that isn't related to me, that isn't part of my family, that's coming just for me. And that might be enough for some people. In fact, it is enough for some people. And for other people, the needs are greater. Unfortunately, there are more significant interventions that need to take place because it's progressed to the point where people are actually in a situation where their mental health is compromised to such an extent that the support needs are higher than just increased social interaction, you know, and that's that's obviously a situation you'd want to avoid and that we hope to avoid by early intervention in terms of social prescribing, befriending and signposting and informing people of what social opportunities are there for them and then supporting them to take advantage of those if that's something they wish to do. How big a role, Karina, does physical mobility or physical health play in protecting us against loneliness? And the reason why I'm asking that, like if participating in, say, an arts and craft group, if it's painful because, say, I have arthritis in my fingers, then I'm going to be reluctant to go to that group. Therefore, I'm going to be keeping myself detached from social interacting. What can we be doing to adjust to those changes? Because you mentioned earlier a few times about breaking things down into goals, you know, achievable goals. I'm just wondering about that physical role that it plays when it comes to creating loneliness and maybe what we can do to prevent it. Absolutely. I suppose thinking about what would happen if we didn't interact socially, just building on what Denise was saying earlier, 
being socially isolated results in you not getting out and about, you know, not being able to achieve those physical activity guidelines, which are so important for our mental health, our physical health, our social networking, being able to get out and about. So losing that and becoming socially isolated then impacts how you interact with others, obviously, how you interact with healthcare services, how you even simply get out and do your shopping, what kind of nutrition are you getting, which then has this negative impact on our ability to function in the day-to-day house, doing our day-to-day activities, becoming more immobile, potentially becoming more frail and maybe even more hospital stays and things like that. So seeing that as worst case scenario, the importance of being able to get out and about and go to various different support networks is really important. You're getting that physical activity benefit by getting out of the house, but you're also having that really, really important social interaction that reduces that loneliness, which is really important. And I think all services out there for older people are really good at finding a way to include everybody based on their skills and abilities. Nobody should feel left out because one particular task is difficult. There'll always be opportunities to get involved and be surrounded by people doing something that is comfortable for you. Can we finish up with this question, guys? Like in your experience, in your observations, in the work that you've been involved in, like what do you see? What are those one or two things that you see works well to help people age well with confidence? Maybe start with you, Denise, if you don't mind. The first thing I'd say is, and it sounds a bit trite, but it's not to be afraid of growing older. I mean, we see these memes on Facebook all the time about never regret growing older. It's a privilege denied to many. And just because you see something a lot or something is a cliche doesn't mean that it isn't true. It is. And I completely understand that everybody's ageing process is different. And for some people, it's inordinately difficult. But there are great opportunities in ageing and there are great positives to growing older. I like to think of people like Helen Mirren and Judy Collins who are in their 70s and 80s, you know, and who would say that this is the best time of their lives because they've let go of so many of the expectations and the perceptions of them that they had of themselves as younger people and the pressure they put on themselves. And now they just live their lives and create their own realities. If you are coming up to retirement or if you are thinking of yourself as an ageing person, which of course we all are, to be as preemptive as possible. So like Karina was saying too, to manage your physical health, to put things in place for your emotional health. If you think you might struggle with loneliness because of reduced social contact after a certain period of time, look at ways to put things in place to reduce that for yourselves. And do try things, as Karina says, you know, it's never too late. You know, people are achieving tremendous things at ages that 30 or 40 years ago people never lived to. So ageing can be a really, really positive thing. And I can say hand on heart that the 12 years that I've spent working with, and I'm using air quotes here, older people have been the most rewarding in all of my work in life because I've learned so much. I've met so many fantastic people and I've been so inspired and so challenged that it's completely changed my own idea of ageing. And I mean, I say that as someone who's looking down the barrel of 50. So arguably, yes, sure, I'm only an infant, but, you know, it's common. But I'm not I'm not afraid of it anymore. I'm welcoming it. I'm embracing it. 
I know enough to try, I suppose, to make sure that my physical health and my emotional health are as good as they can be for as long as they can be. And life can be good. Life can be and it should be. And ideally, we're all ageing well. We're all ageing longer and in a more positive way. And there are areas of society and policy that need to catch up with us. But hopefully they will. And I would say that be confident in your ageing, as the theme of the podcast says, age with confidence because we don't have a choice but to age. So why not do it the best way we can? How about for you, Karina? I don't know if I could put it any better than Denise has just said. I thought that was excellent. (laughs) (laughs) But I suppose just based in my experience, ageing with confidence is about keeping your body in good shape, being physically active, eating well, having a healthy diet, avoiding those things that perhaps make aging a little bit more difficult, things like smoking, which has an impact on a variety of different systems in our bodies, drinking within the recommended guidelines. All those things are really, really important to echo what Denise was saying, to, I suppose, embrace aging and plan ahead and put things in place that are going to make the process as easy and enjoyable as possible. I think that's really, really important. Another thing as well is don't be afraid to seek help. There's plenty of supports out there for a variety of different things. So whether it be you need help with your medications, about knowing what you're taking, you know, have that conversation with the GP. Whether it be you want to be a little bit more active and you don't know where to start, reach out to a physiotherapist or a GP who can link you with somebody. If you're struggling around the house but you want to maintain your independence, reach out to that occupational therapist to help you with all the various bits and bobs to keep you functioning and improving your quality of life at home. There's always support out there and don't be afraid to reach out. We're all very approachable and we're there to help everybody maintain the level of independence and improve the quality of life as best as possible. And all the incredible community groups like Older Voices Kildare that are just brilliant at the social prescribing and the befriending services. There's so many things out there and don't be afraid to reach out. And there's no shame in it. There's Absolutely no shame not. In, yeah. you know, we're all ageing, we're all changing, things being different are not always deficit. If you're interested in being part of a group but feel like you don't have the mobility to knit or to well, go and have a chat, go for the tea break. It's all about the tea break. Uh, you know, again, air quotes, older people, some of the most rewarding and valuable experiences in my professional career as a physiotherapist. And I have gained so much from them and I use their wisdom and knowledge in my everyday life. And I think society does need to catch up a little bit. We need to make sure that as health professionals, we're encouraging an environment for older people to thrive and to flourish within health services and also, you know, town planners to make sure that the areas that we live are age friendly and policymakers to make sure that older people are not being forgotten, that they are very much part of everyday life and they are valued in our society because they are so very valued in our society. Guys, thank you so much for coming in the chat today. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. I look forward to your next podcast. Until then, Slongo Foyle.